Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Tara Gleason, and I am the podcast producer. Today, we're going to listen in to one of our parent-to-parent webinar trainings with Excel and Ed with Kara Candle, who's the Director of Educational Opportunity, and she's going to talk to us about school choice options for military students. We know that military families are starting their PCS season again this summer, and when you're doing that, military families often look at school choices in the different locations that they're going to. So you're going to get some more insight on that today as you listen in to this training with Luis and Excel and Ed. Hello, everyone, and thanks for being here today. My name is Louise Webb, and I am with the Military Child Education Coalition Parent-to-Parent Webinar Team. Thanks for joining us for our special presentation of School Choice. We have Kara Candall with Excel and Ed with us today, and we're really excited to hear what she has to share about School Choice. Wonderful. Thank you, Louise. And hello, everybody. I'm so um, thrilled to be here with you today. Um, as Louise said, my name is Kara Kandel. I currently serve as the Director of Educational Opportunity for Excel and Ed, otherwise known as the Foundation for Excellence in Education. We do a lot of things at Excel and Ed focused on improving education for kids across the country, um, with big emphasis on improving opportunities for military-connected families and children. Just a little bit about myself. I came to Excel and Ed a little bit over a year ago after um, longer than I would like to admit career (laughs) in education. I have been a professor um, at the Boston University School of Education studying issues around school choice for more than 15 years. But probably the most important thing I can tell you about myself today is that I started my career as a high school English literature teacher um, many moons ago. And so um, that feels very important to me. I, um, I miss the classroom, but I love what I do today. And I know many of you are quite concerned about what's going on in classrooms for your children, or perhaps today those classrooms are are in your home for the time being. Those of you who are military connected, your children, um, you're you're probably constantly thinking about school, constantly trying to understand what are the best educational options for your kids because due to the nature of your job, um, you're moving around quite a bit. And we're going to talk today about, um, about perhaps, I hope, how to take some of the stress out of that. You all sacrifice a lot, military families sacrifice a lot, but I'm interested in knowing what specifically have you sacrificed in order to put your child in the school that you want, whether that means you're moving to um, a school district that is a little bit more expensive to live in, um, whether you're just sacrificing certain things um, in order to be able to afford perhaps private school tuition for your child. I'm seeing a high percentage of us saying, we give up vacations, Perhaps we, if we chose to live in a different um, school district or if we didn't have to pay tuition to go somewhere, we might have um, a different home. I know I keep telling my husband that someday we'll redo that kitchen, but probably not going to happen anytime soon. So, But those, those experiences, we, when we keep 
school and the schools that are best fit for our kids top of mind for very many of us, but I think especially for military families, that means giving up certain opportunities. So knowing that, I wanted, I wanted to take a moment to think about why it is that choosing school for any families, but especially for those who move around a lot, can be a huge source of stress. And, and you already know some of these, but let's recap just to sort of capture what I've learned as a researcher in my career about what really causes stress for parents. And the first is that if you move around a lot, you know that even if you're moving in the same state, schools have different curricula. They deliver those different curricula in different ways. And sometimes it might be a good fit for your child, and sometimes it might be uh, a poor fit. You might find maybe a little bit less since we've implemented the Common Core. But you might find, too, that if you move between and among states, kids might be learning different things at different grade levels, and it might be difficult. Maybe you find your child is having to repeat material, or maybe you find your child has actually gaps in his or her learning because you moved from one school to another and there was material that was missed. This can be a huge stressor for children, but when, something, when our children are stressed, that's absolutely a stressor for, for parents. And then there are many, many of us, I know myself included, who have kids with very specific needs, whether it's a specific learning disability, a socio-emotional need. Um, finding the right fit for kids who need extra attention, whether it's in academics or just one-on-one -on -one with socio-emotional learning, can be really difficult. Some schools excel in this capacity. Some schools don't. And sometimes we need smaller school environments for our kids, especially if they have special learning needs. And that includes our kids who, um, who might be classified as, as gifted or needing a little bit more challenging coursework. And then sometimes we move and we see a school, whether it's in a neighboring district or we see a private school and we think, that's where my child belongs. That's how my child learns. But it's simply prohibitively expensive. And um, I, that, I know that that's the case for a lot of families. Wow, wouldn't it be great if my kid could have this or that experience, whether it's about how the curriculum is delivered or maybe a certain mission or ethos that a school espouses that you feel connected to. Very often, um, if we want private schools for our kids, they cost a lot of money, and that can be uh, a big problem for families. And then finally, let's not forget the cost of additional education. So whenever we're not fully satisfied, or even if we are fully satisfied in some respects, with what our kids are getting in school, many parents find a need to you know, supplement outside of school. And that takes not only resources, but as every parent knows and is learning right now, boy, does it take a lot of time. And time is a very precious resource for families. So there are a variety of reasons. Maybe some of these resonate with you, maybe some more than others. So what, one of the things that we think about at Excel and Ed is why is it that choosing school should be such a stress for families, right? We have enough stress in life. So part of my job and the team that I am a part of, what we think about every single day is how can we open up more educational opportunities for families, be that within the public system, be that for private schools, charter schools, whatever it is, simply how can we provide more opportunities for kids so that more children have an opportunity to experience a customized education, something that fits their specific needs. Over time, we've had a lot of programs that have enabled school choice to grow. And this is everything from you, your local district school, you see on one end of this spectrum here, this is where most people go, and I would expect that most of you, when you're saying your child has been in one school or another, it's been in a district school. 
And then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, some of you might choose to be homeschoolers. Right now, a lot of us are doing home education because of the current health crisis. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have chosen to be homeschoolers. Increasing number of parents in this country are making the deliberate, conscious choice to school their children at home. And that comes with a lot of trade-offs for families, but it's a very important decision, very important to the families that make it. Um, depending on where our kids are at, I know many of us right now are probably thinking about how do we educate kids of multiple ages at home? And if you are not a veteran homeschooler, boy, can it be a really difficult thing to figure out. Many of us now wondering, what about my kid who's slated to graduate or what's going to happen with college education uh, given the current environment? It's about finding, knowing what options are available to you and finding the option that's the best kid, best fit for your kid um, that you can also still afford, that, that doesn't require you to make some of the sacrifices that many of you have pointed out you have to make. So I'm going to take a minute and first talk about what I like to think of as the most sort of quiet form of school choice. And I think about it quietly because the general public is probably not very well informed about public school choice in the form of open enrollment. Now, maybe some of you are, um, but there are a couple things to know. So when we talk about open enrollment, one of the things, there, there are two separate kinds. There's open enrollment within the school district that you live in, right? So um, some, a lot of, in many um, urban centers especially, if there are lots of different, for example, high schools to choose from, you might be able to say, I really prefer to go to this rather than the other. And if that school has space, you can get in. Perhaps some of you have had children in magnet schools. Oftentimes those are themed schools, schools that you might have to apply to. Um, but that's called intra-district choice. And so that depends on where you live. One of the big problems with access is that you don't always know if you're going to get your first choice. But the other form of open enrollment that I think um, I really want everybody to know about is inter-district enrollment. So I, 47 states, and we'll give you some resources after this, have open enrollment laws. And basically what that means is if I live in a school district, but the school district right next to me has programs available that I think my child would benefit from. Maybe they have a great special education program that my child would benefit from. In many states, all you have to do is go to that school district and say, I'd really like my child to go here. Now, some states have different laws. In some states, if there's room available and you want your child to attend school in that other district, they have to let you. But in other states, it's at the district's choice, so the district's discretion. And so they can say, well, we'll accept you or we'll not accept you. I would like to advocate that all schools have mandatory, all states have mandatory open enrollment laws because this is a really important form of public school choice. Of course, for parents, it brings up a couple little things, and that is, what do you do, for example, about transportation, which often is not provided? And how do you simply navigate the system? So sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And so that's part of what we're trying to do today is give you the information. So interdistrict enrollment, always an option for military families if you want to live in one community, but prefer for your child to attend school in another. And that is a free public school education. What is a charter school? Many of you, if you haven't, if your child hasn't attended a charter school, has probably heard of charter schools. Um, and charter schools are another really important form of public school choice. There are a lot of misconceptions that exist about charter schools. They're probably one of the only things we ever hear political candidates talk about, which to those of us who study education is to no end frustrating because there's a lot of things we could be talking about. But at the end of the day, here's what you need to know. 
Charter schools are, in fact, fully public schools. So that means they have to take the kids who apply unless they're oversubscribed, unless too many kids want to attend the school. And then those schools, um, for the most part, have lotteries. Um, it means they admit students randomly. So we currently have 45 states plus Washington, D.C. have charter school laws, but that doesn't mean that there are a lot of charter schools available in all places. Charter schools tend to be an urban phenomenon. And at the, at the crux of the issue, what charter schools are is there's schools that are established maybe by a group of parents, maybe by a group of teachers that could be established by a not-for-profit. The whole idea is that they're supposed to do something differently. They're supposed to serve kids in some unique way. And they're also supposed to be more accountable than district schools. So to put it in a nutshell, if a charter school doesn't perform, it's supposed to close. If it's not serving kids well, it's supposed to close, which is a difference from our different district schools. District schools can't close. They can change. We can change them. We can try and improve them. But charter schools, when they don't perform, can cease to exist. A couple other things that charter schools can do is they have longer school days. They tend to. They can choose to. They, um, they can have totally different curricula. So these can be a really good option for parents if they are offering the thing that is a fit for your child. It doesn't mean they always are, but they can offer special themed things that really excite some kids or maybe excite some parents if we like the idea of a longer school day and a longer school year for whatever reason. Charter schools tend to be a little bit smaller too, so for some parents that feels like a really big win. Karen, can you talk a little bit more about virtual learning? I would be remiss if in this particular moment we did not talk about virtual learning. I'm sure we've all sort of dove in in the past couple of weeks. But a few interesting just tidbits about education policy and virtual learning. And that is, until recently, virtual learning is not a place where um, states have felt sort of safe diving in. There are very few states that have statewide virtual schools. And um, what that means is that kids can learn virtually. Um, maybe states will offer, for example, one virtual schooling option. Um, but they, kids can learn virtually using private providers. In the current moment, we're hearing a lot of talk about what does it mean if states have to provide really high quality online virtual education. Now, some kids have been doing it for a long time. Some students have special needs that require them to stay at home. Some students have had experiences in school that simply means it's preferable for them to learn from home. But those students need the highest quality education that, that they are due. And so virtual learning holds a lot of potential. Now, can you share with us a little bit more about private school choice? Although you can see that we've got private school choice, programs are available in 26 different states, including Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. When I use the term private school choice, essentially what I mean is that some states have programs, and they all take different shapes and form, that allow parents and students to access private schools using government funds. So there are a couple different ways to do it. It can be pretty controversial. Um, I'll point out Florida. Uh, Florida has, I think, well over 100,000 children just in one of its private school choice programs alone. There are some states that have really gotten on board with the idea that to really open up educational opportunity to everyone, we need to enable parents 
for whom it would otherwise be a burden to pay for private school to access private schools of their um, But I want to talk to you a little bit about the different private school options that exist so that, number one, they can be on the radar in case you live in or move to one of these places. They can be on the radar for you if it's an option that you would like. But number two, so that um, you all can become advocates for this if you feel that it's a good idea. Can you tell us a little bit more about school vouchers? Voucher is a word that's often bandied about. And whenever folks talk about private schools and government money for private schools, this is the word that's usually used. Um, it's the oldest form of private education choice going back to the late 1980s, early 1990s, born in Wisconsin. In a nutshell, how does it work? Basically, a voucher is simply when um, the state takes the money that it would have put towards your child's education, both the local money and the state money, because states pay for education. Federal money is just a really tiny part of it. And doesn't, doesn't, we don't use federal money in vouchers. And it basically sends that money to a private school of the family's choice. Now, the caveat here is that most voucher programs are designed for kids who live at or below the poverty line. Sometimes they go up to about 200% of the poverty line. And what that means is that uh, a lot of middle class families, like solid middle class families, who might find it really difficult to live life while paying for private school tuition are out of the equation. We're seeing that change. We're seeing that change in Florida. Yay, Florida. Um, but but in, for the most part, vouchers serve a very specific population of kids. Increasingly, we are, um, and Excelinet is advocating for, and we are seeing um, other organizations advocate for too, that military families, regardless of income, be a specific population that is eligible for private school choice programs. So currently, Arkansas, Florida, and North Carolina all give military families preference in their programs. And this is a really important thing for military families to know, because often this is kind of snuck into legislation. And, and, and you might not even realize that your family is eligible. You might think, well, we don't qualify because we don't live at a certain income level. But that might not necessarily be true. I've heard of something called tax credit scholarships. Can you explain that to us? Tax credit scholarships are increasingly the most popular form of private school choice. So how does this work? This is, this is really simple. States will establish programs that basically incentivize donors to give money to what we call scholarship granting organizations. So it's private money. It's not public money. And then those organizations, all they do is give scholarships to children to attend private schools. Now, you hear the word scholarship, and many of us think, well, that must mean that my kid has to take a test or that my kid has to qualify in some way. The vast majority of these programs, the only qualification is special educational status or income. So just like a voucher, it's usually targeted at families that couldn't otherwise afford the cost of private school. Unfortunately. It often excludes middle-class families, although there are some programs that do not and some programs that increasingly are allowing middle-class families to access these scholarships. Um, children with special educational needs increasingly are the recipients of tax credit scholarships. Um, tax credit scholarships, a lot of families really like them. I'll go back to Florida. They have an enormous tax credit scholarship program, um, and they can really 
open up a world of opportunities for kids um, without a lot of the politics associated with this idea that we're somehow not giving money to public school districts, but instead giving it to private schools. Uh, and we can talk about that. Um, most of these programs actually save public school districts money in one way or another. Tax credit scholarships absolutely do. And for your knowledge, currently Arizona and Florida give military families preference in their tax credit scholarship programs. And I can promise you that every piece of legislation we read and, um, and give, give advice on at Excel and Ed, we are keeping military families front of mind. Uh, we think with as much as you all move and the sacrifices that you make, you should be uh, in the front line for this. I think it would also be beneficial to talk in depth about education savings accounts. For My Money is the most interesting and innovative new idea. If you are reading anything about what's going on right now with the COVID-19 crisis, you might have heard that the Secretary of Education recently made a recommendation that we have something like this at the federal level. In a nutshell, an education savings account is when the state puts a pot of money, either they, they allocate the money at the state level or they take the money that would have gone to a child's education from the state, and they put it in a savings account. And that savings account is, you can think of it like a 529, but you don't save up over time. The state gives you the money. Um, and that savings account is jointly managed between the state and the parent. And it's not just about accessing private school. So you could have an education savings account and use the money in it to pay for tuition at a private school. But you might also want an education savings account to pay for money for extracurricular activities, college level courses. Maybe you're using it to pay for educational technology, computer hardware, computer software. Maybe you have a child with special educational needs who needs specific therapies. You can use an education savings account in many cases to pay for those therapies. So not many states currently have education savings accounts, six, only five of which are active. But they're pretty exciting. Um, many people think this is the next wave of what education is going to look like. The exciting thing about education and savings accounts to me is that it doesn't alienate the public school population because theoretically, we could have education savings accounts for everyone to attend a public school and then have some of the extras or to use private school tuition and hopefully have some of the extras. The one question a lot of people have about education savings accounts is like, are they secure? There are a lot of um, moves that states make to ensure that parents are spending the money on the approved expenses such as educational therapies, tuition, classes, etc., rather than, you know, going and buying a new car with their education savings account. Um, Arizona had the first education savings account, and currently it is the only one that gives military families preference in its ESA. But if you live in Arizona, um, I know a bunch of people that are using the ESA there, and they very much love it. I also wanted to point out this one really interesting new option that parents are using education savings accounts to access this hybrid homeschooling, microschooling option. So I would just like to share that one of the things I think is most exciting about this new model is that parents made it, right? Parents, parents did it. So basically in Arizona where this was born, a lot of parents have these educational savings accounts and some of the expenses, some of, some of that money can be used towards homeschooling in Arizona. 
But of course, if anybody who's a homeschooler knows that you're always thinking about the other experiences that your kids might need. And a lot of homeschool parents are great at thinking about how do I get my kids together in a collaborative of homeschoolers with other children or have sports opportunities. Well, this is a group of parents that got together and said, well, I'm teaching out of my home. Why not teach other kids out of my home? And we do sort of like a home share education. I think it's an incredibly interesting model and one that, as the video shows, we're seeing lots of growth. Very excited to see how this model spreads to other states. Can you share any good resources with us? For the most part, state departments of education can be a pretty good resource. You can at least find out what your state does and does not have. And I find that one of the best things about state departments of education everywhere is that folks usually pick up the phone. So even if you can't find it on the website, call they will usually help you. And also, be bold, right? If you're living in one district and you think you want to go to the one a couple um, communities away, show up there. Ask them. It's hard to say no to moms and dads um, when they want the best thing for their children. That will help you figure out what open enrollment laws are, what they look like, and whether or not a school has space for you. How can parents get involved? To advocate for different educational options. And, you know, if you think, wow, wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be amazing to have an ESA in my state, but there are only five of them, write a letter. Let folks know. And I have to say, the current moment we are in, there's really room for innovative thinking around what states should and can be doing in the current moment. And I think a lot of states are going to move in a direction that says, we have to do something different because this crisis is showing us that the status quo just isn't working. We've seen across the country really interesting and powerful organizations pop up that are dedicated simply to helping parents navigate the different options available to them in their community. So if this isn't something that you already have, and maybe you do, I could envision a community of military-connected families that are dedicated just to helping one another understand what are the different options available in each state, maybe each city, maybe each district. And I'm sure that if you don't have formal networks, you probably have lots of great informal ones. But having folks who are just dedicated to that all of the time can be really, really powerful for families, especially those of us who move around quite a bit. Thank you so much, Kara. This was awesome. I do have a couple to ask you, Kara, if you're okay with that. Yeah. So the first one, first off, your presentation was fantastic. Thank you so much. It was full mm -hmm. of such great information and we appreciate the military emphasis as well, for sure. What do we know about the quality of the different education options that you described? Can you share that with us? Yeah, yeah. So what I can say, so uh, one of the um, one of the comments sort of said it all. It's like it, it, it's not that a particular type of school is always best or always best for every kid. But we do have some general, um, we have some research generally on the quality of different educational options. I mean, there are some amazing school districts out there that just hit it out of the park. They tend to be located in very wealthy suburbs. And so it, it tends to be students who live in lower income communities that suffer when it comes to our public school districts. What we do know, for example, though, is that charter schools that exist in those very same communities tend to do very well in terms of educational outcomes. And by that, I mean test scores, graduation rates, college enrollment. There's also some really interesting data, Louise, on the, on the private school choice programs. So we have a very convincing, very high quality data to show that when states do enact these private school choice programs, by and large, kids benefit. Now, we don't know if that's because the schools are 
always better or if the schools are just better for them. There's a lot to suggest that just when we make a choice, we excel. But we know that when, when states design private school choice programs in the right way, and by that we mean that they, they encourage the best private schools to join and then they get the kids in who really want to be in, that those children tend to excel with high academic outcomes and higher college-going rates. Um, they also have um, a higher proportion of what we call the, the non-cognitive outcomes, just like good citizenship, being great community members, stuff like the things that we can sort of measure long term. Um, unfortunately, on things like virtual learning and homeschooling, we have far uh, less data, and you can understand why. It's kind of harder to wrap your arms around that. Yeah, and I did notice in our comment box earlier, one of our folks said that they felt that the schools got thrown into that virtual learning, obviously, almost overnight, really. So it is hard to make the quality of that good when you weren't prepared for it. But I, Absolutely. I guess every, everybody's doing what they can at this oh, point. There are some. I'll point out there that there are some statewide virtual schools. Florida's got one. One of the one of the commentators said North Carolina. They've been doing it for a while, and it's really interesting that states that are unfortunately used to natural disasters have had to figure out virtual schooling. And so, it, you know, it, it takes practice. And those states are proving that it can be done. And models are out there. So hopefully others will glean from that information as well. But I have another one for you. Do the different types of school options you described take different approaches to schooling? Yes. So, I mean, like, right, even, even public school districts can take different approaches to schooling in terms of what they claim to offer students, the, the kinds of classes they offer, whether it's AP classes. Some, some public school districts offer IB classes, which is a pretty cool one. But when it comes to charter schools, for example, the whole idea is that they're supposed to differentiate themselves from the other public schools in the area. So you might find charter schools dedicated to STEM, science, technology, um, engineering, and math. You might find charter schools for the arts. You might find charter schools for kids who, you know, I, I mean, take your pick, who like to sail. <laughs> it, depends, it depends on where you are. And then, of course, the thing that we know about private schools is that private school choice programs across the states they involve all sorts of private schools, so faith-based private schools, um, private Montessori private schools, Waldorf private schools. So if you're a family that says, like, so for example, my children are in a Montessori school, and a K-8, to so they're, they're in a Montessori school for older kids, right? And we have found that that works at least for our oldest. A lot of families say, I really want a certain kind of faith-based education. That's important for them. And that is a different approach to schooling. It could be different in terms of curricula. Um, it could be just different in terms of um, what the kids are experiencing in those times of the school day when they're not doing, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. But yeah, these different, the, the different what we would call education choice programs all sort of exist on this idea that there should be a plurality of education options for everyone. And that includes different kinds of curricula and, and how we get the curricula in kids' hands. So that doesn't always mean one's better than the other, but they're certainly meant to be customized for each kid and each family. Awesome. OK, so we do have a question in the chat box. If someone is living in a school of choice, private school program, where should a family go to find more information concerning the military preference? So um, the first thing to do, if you are living in a place where there is private school choice, um, you should, first of all, call the State Department of Education and make sure 
that they haven't snuck in some sort of military preference. If the military preference is not in there, and most of them do not yet have it, um, and you want it to be in there because your child wouldn't otherwise qualify, and also just because it should be in there, um, you start with your, you know, write a letter to the commissioner of education. Write a letter to your local legislator. And that's how we get stuff done. I, I mean, I'm always amazed. I think we find those of us who work in, in the world of education policy, including military families in these kinds of programs, is really, really popular idea when people realize that they should be included. Right? So uh, I, I'm, you probably feel this, all of you, unfortunately. But unfortunately, military families are just often forgotten about <laughs> and the, um, in, in terms of education. I hope not in every walk of life. But, but it's something that um, we all need to be advocating for. And like I said, Excel and Ed, um, we advocate. Our partner organizations across the country advocate in terms of education policy. And when we do, uh, legislatures and states are incredibly receptive. But the best advocates are parents. Nobody speaks better about this than those of you who have the experience. We agree with that at the MSEC. We're always telling parents that you are your child's best advocate. And with military and moving a lot, we do have to do the best we can and reach for the best for our kids more so than other families might. So I've got one more question. What are the best options for students with special education needs? And in that, uh, if I can include gifted students. Sure. Yeah, and we often include, like you said, we often include gifted students in the category of students with special educational needs because they do have a have a need that usually isn't met in a mainstream classroom, right? I like this question because it, it sort of gets at not only what are the options, but it, it asks that question like, is there one best option? I think that just like any student, kids with special educational needs um, are all different. <laughs> they all have very different needs. In many cases, districts, school districts, local school districts, have the scale of available resources to serve students with special educational needs particularly well. But then again, that depends on the need. So if you find, for example, that you are assigned to a school district and your child has a particular need that is not being met, and maybe you already have all of the formal documents, like an individual ed education program, and that need is still not being met, there is a federal law that says when districts can't meet needs, um, families are entitled to placement in private schools. Now, there are, as many of you probably know, private schools that are dedicated exclusively to serving students with particular um, special educational needs. So private schools for autistic children. And we're seeing a lot of students with special educational needs in states that have private school choice programs choosing those programs specifically because um, these are schools designed around serving kids with a particular need. So I would advise anybody who's thinking about this for their own child to think about, are there schools that are out there that are designed around my kid and his or her need? And, and then how do I go about getting access to those schools? Whether it's I live in a state with private school choice and I'm going to see if I can use that program, or whether it's I need to work with my local district to say, this isn't working for me, and so we need to, I want to know what my rights are to a private placement. Um, I should note that all public schools, uh, charter schools included, serve and are bound by law to serve students with special educational needs. And, and they are about, they are supposed to be doing that now, let, let us say. Um, so this is all, it's really important. And, and listen, as those of us who have kids with special educational needs know, um, the parent is the best advocate. There's, <laughs> this is certainly a category where that is true. Because if the parent's not advocating, very few people will. Um, so know your rights, but know that you have a right to attend a school that's not just in your school district. 
Absolutely. This was all fantastic information. Special thanks to Kara with Excel in Ed for presenting all this incredible information. It is really, it's relevant today, relevant to all our military families, and we really appreciate you being here. And thanks, everybody. Nope. Thank you all for everything you do, for your service, and please stay safe and, help, and healthy. Take care. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.